0: Welcome home to a life without limits, where you honor your alignment, nourish your soul and awaken your inner goddess. Some days we fly, some, well, we've got your sister. Abundance is your birthright. This is your remembrance. Hot Mess Goddess, juicy conversations for a luscious life. Welcome to the podcast, Mona. I'm so thrilled to have you back. And that might sound strange because this is the first podcast that will air with you, but we actually recorded one probably two months ago now. And I was editing it to put out last week. And I realized we needed to redo it because circumstances had changed for you. So here we are starting fresh.
1: Yes. Yes. Thank you for having me back. I'm honored to be here and to share.
0: Yeah. I sat at my altar this morning and thanked Spirit for actually bringing you to me to share your story. I'm just so incredibly grateful. Yeah, sometimes, you know,
1: I think that, you know, this story of a trauma and drama that I get sick of it and people get sick of it, yet I've been told by many people that if I could go through some pretty dramatic stuff and come out the other end, then they possibly could too. So here we go. Yeah. For me, oh, I was uh, showing real estate 29 years ago to someone that I didn't know in a secluded location, and things went really not in my greatest favor. At least that's what I have thought up till recently. And uh, today I have, have a different stance that um, all these things happen for a reason and for a purpose, and, and it's not for me to understand that reason. So, my greatest tribulation is actually my, my greatest gift. The gift of my voice, of going from the victim mentality, which I was not aware, but, you know, we really do draw it to ourselves. I didn't want to think that when I was younger, you know, fitting in with the jock crowd and this and that crowd, you know, I kind of ran with the wolves, with the mutts, with the, the <laughs> not perfect people because I'm a freak. I guess we're all really different. So because I didn't fit into a box, I didn't want to fit into a box.
0: My favorite kind of people. So anyway, you know, back
1: back to my story. I was showing some real estate, a house out in the country. I was actually beaten up, punched, tied up, uh, raped, sexually assaulted. All while I was tied up. Um, And then I thought he was going to leave me at the property. Well, he didn't gag me till later. Um, duct tape over my mouth. But then he came back and got me instead of leaving me there uh, because I had a plan to, you know, escape after he left because my hands were always tied in. I had always been working the ropes. Had some pretty severe rope burns, yet um,
0: didn't work out that way. Because you could hear the cars, couldn't you? I remember from last time. I could hear his car.
1: He, He started my car, put it in the garage, and then his car started. And I'm like, oh, he's leaving. And I'm like, oh, he's not leaving. And then he came back upstairs and got me where he'd had my hands and feet tied to each other's to, tied to a bed so I couldn't get away. And um threw me down the stairs, picked me up off the floor, which you know the the, the fall could have killed me, but it wasn't my day to leave this world, and stuffed me in the trunk of his car and a couple minutes later, drove away and we drove for what, you know, seemed like an eternity, but, you know, based on where I did escape, obviously I'm here. I did escape. It seemed like forever. And, you know, I picked at the lock and.
0: I'll just stop for a second, just because initially there's like a protocol, isn't there in real estate where you always have someone with you? Like what actually happened? Circumstances just seemed to happen that day.
1: Yeah, they did. And, you know, actually, back in, in 1992, we did have protocols like that. There had been another kidnapping and a shooting other people that I know really close to my family. And so, yeah, we did have protocols like that. And I had a, a, a female partner that we went on all of our real estate things together, unless we absolutely knew the people in their families, you know, repeat business. Any new customer we always did. Well, she had a death in the family. So she left abruptly. And my significant other said that they would go with me. And they end up working and they came home and they didn't want to get up and leave with me and go to the appointment. So I went myself. You know, years later, I, I really think that oh they've uh, they've suffered a lot through these 29 years because every time I do a TV interview or go public about it or it's in the paper or whatever. They have this guilt. Yeah, there's protocols for these things and, and people do still go alone. Honestly, with COVID, the whole real estate industry has changed quite a bit. You know, they're doing virtual showings until they've been pre-qualified and they're like ready to sign. They don't even go into the houses anymore.
0: Yeah. What year did you say it was? 1992, 29 years ago. So there were no mobile phones? No. Well,
1: the first ones came out as suitcases. I had got one like the next year later, I think.
0: <laughs> that was <were> pretty bulky.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was bigger than my purse, for sure. For sure. Oh, yeah, it was the first year that they used DNA. So I was pretty fortunate for that. Yeah, so back to that day, you know, I'm here arriving in a trunk of the car and my hands are tied, my feet are tied, duct tape on my mouth. And I was only half dressed from the waist up because, you know, he'd taken my clothes off and didn't have time to put them back on. So it it seemed like a long time, but it wasn't apparently all that long, you know, probably 15 miles based on how far we drove to where I got out. But I picked the latch on the trunk and, and when it popped open, I was just so, so excited that I knew where I was. I wasn't in a remote back road. He was on a main road, which was like, why would he have ever done that? Of course, he didn't know who he had in the trunk because my number wasn't up. And, uh, you know, for years, I have felt that I was the one. He picked me because I was the right. And since then, we have found out that uh, in 1992, I thought there was 25 women. Two years ago, we found out there's approximately 100 women. And now they wouldn't come forward and they wouldn't talk about it that that he actually raped. And most of them were people who knew him. Friends of the family, neighbors, and, you know, back in that started like the 1980 mine happened in 92. Well, this other one girl did come out and go public with me that hers happened in 1980. And then there was no DNA. There was no supports in the courts. And, um, yeah. I did get support in the court system. I had a, a a dynamite oh sexual assault. She really worked with children. I mean, I was young then, but she 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 really worked with children with really bizarre cases, which this did turn out to be quite a bizarre case, based on you know his history. But um, yeah.
0: So what happened when you picked that lock? You must have seen daylight and just. I, well, I guess it all happened I, so when,
1: fast when the trunk was opening obviously I had my hands and feet free because I did that quite quick. And, you know, I got really bad rope burns, but I, I knew I waited to someone to find me when he opened a trunk, it was not going to be an ideal opportunity for me. So, um, yeah, as I saw the trunk opening, I literally flew out of the trunk. I mean, I mean, I was flying on air today. They've changed that area and it's 45, but it was 55 mile an hour at that time. And it was just before coming into a speed limit. So He was going about 45, 50, maybe when, when I jumped out of the trunk and um, I remember hitting the blacktop running, I was flying. I, I, there was a um, recyclable laundry facility back in the day there in that location. And what I remembered seeing, I called it my rainbow to freedom, the recyclable laundry jugs, yellow, blue, red, and knowing where I was I had so much adrenaline, I just, I flew out of the trunk, through the air, because I really didn't care at that point, you know, what would happen with the blacktop, or how scuffed up I might be, it had to be better than what, what else could possibly happen, or what already had happened, and uh, I ran right down the middle of the road, no cars were coming. It was father's day. Get this. It was Sunday father's day. And this guy was a father. I didn't know that. Well, I did know that at the time because he talked about his family. He talked about a log home and he didn't disguise himself in, in any way. So when I did escape, I, uh, there was a mobile home park there about, I don't know, a couple hundred feet down the road. It's all built up today, but you know, 29 years ago it was not. And, um, I didn't go to the first row of, of homes because he, his car was quite a ways away at that time and he was still running after me. So I went a row behind so he wouldn't know which house I went into. And I knocked and ran right in. And uh, as I said, it was father's day and um, a, a, a family had finished eating and they were all sitting around and I, Uh, Said, I need to use your phone. I need to report an accident. And, you know, I was half dressed and didn't have any clothes on from the waist down. And they could see that, you know, I was looking in pretty bad shape. So, uh, yeah. They couldn't even, um, because I had escaped and it was Father's Day, there was um, very little police enforcement available. So there was not even anybody to come take my statement to do anything. My um, friends, and real estate had to take me to the police station because no one could even come
0: and take a report. So the police didn't even come and get you?
1: No, no, they, they, there wasn't enough on. It was, you know, a five o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. They were really low staffed. So my friends took me to the police station and I didn't want to. And, and that's where I understand today why, why people don't want to come forward. I didn't want to come forward, you know, and this was somebody I did not know. And it turned out, you know, really violent. And I only wanted to press assault and kidnapping charges. I didn't want anyone to know about the rape and the sodomy and the sexual assault and all the things that happened. Yet I knew I had to tell the truth and I couldn't leave anything out. So in my police report, you know, I told them anything. And I I suppose I probably didn't really cooperate that well with the police uniform officers. I don't know. We're country here. You know, we're 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 not hillbillies, but we're not far from it. Okay. so uh, when the uniform officer came in, he called me by my first name, Ramona, which, you know, nobody calls me by that except the principal and my father when I was in trouble. So, (laughs) yeah, he was going to kill you. And I'm like, yeah, there is no doubt in my mind he was going to kill me. He says that if I only press assault and kidnapping charges that he will be out, he'll probably get seven years and be out in three or four years. Can I live with that? And I said, no, I, I can't live with that. And he says, then, then we, we need to go to the hospital to, yeah, to get the DNA, to do the rape trauma kit thing. So I said, yes, all right. And, and now get this. I hadn't cried at all, right? I was like, I said, so this has probably been about, we're about three hours in now from the time that it happened to I escaped to the police station to the investigator. So I hadn't cried and. I said, okay, I'd made my statement. So we're riding in his car into the trauma center in the city where, you know, they would do that stuff. And, um, I asked if I could cry. I asked, asked him, you know, I didn't know this guy. I asked him if I could cry. So I cried on the way cause it, it was like so bizarre that I like separated from what happened. I was looking down at that poor girl and that poor girl was me. And you know, then, Oh, then, you know, my family and significant other, they brought me in some clothes because I, I only let my family know that there was an accident. They thought it was a car accident. Okay. They thought I had a fender bender. Then when my uh, brother and my significant other got the phone call that I needed some clothes, that's when they put some together. She needs some clothes. Why would she need some clothes? Because uh, now I was still wearing that lady's robe. You know, because I didn't have any clothes. Now, of course, 30 years ago, they didn't have clothes for you when you got to the hospitals and stuff. So, um, you know, they do that and, you know, that was, gosh, that was, is, um, violating is being raped, you know, you know, combing your pubic hair and, you know, being traumatized all over. It's not quite like going to the gynecologist for sure. Yeah. And, um. I had already done a vehicle thing that day, pretty good description of the vehicle they put out. And, you know, so now it's the middle of the night. A couple hours later, I go to the police station and do a complete composite. And, you know, within that night, even before it aired, just from the description of the vehicle and his physical description that I had given, um, they had like a, a hundred tips, anonymous tips. And, um, his wife, was also one of them who called. Wow. And uh, it was two days later, they found the car in his backyard. All the windows were broken out of it. All the windows were smashed out of it. All the lights were broken. Um, The trunk where I had been was all filled with dirt and stones, trying to, you know, to cover up any evidence that might be there. Only he didn't know that when I was in that trunk, all these things were going through my mind and, I live in in Buffalo, New York, and our football team, our pro football team, it was the fourth year in the row that they went to the Super Bowl. Now, no team has gone four years in a row. They didn't win, but they went four years in a row. It's still a record. So, you know, I had this team watch on, and you know, where I worked at the time was a, we uh, all dressed up, and you know, where the overlap ship you would spend fifteen to thirty minutes prating around, all dressed up, and you know, whatever. So everyone knew I had this watch, and I hid the watch in the trunk of the wow. car. Well, by him putting all the rocks and stuff in there, you know, the officer's like, man, we'll never find that. And I described it. It was like a, a barbell weight, but actually what it was, was a, a rotor for a brake, and it was a soft metal. So when I put my watch under it, he picked it up and took it out and threw it on the ground out by the shed where he took all the tires off of the t- truck. So the, based on the tips that they got when they went to his house, the car matched, his description totally matched. And he saw on the ground. Cause he's thinking, oh no, we'll never get anything out of that trunk. It was full of dirt and stone and rocks. He's seen the item that I had described, not believing it. He flipped it over and my watch was embedded in the back of it. Wow. So, you know, and that was before the DNA. I mean, they had the DNA, but they hadn't had the results of it yet. So they knew they had the right guy. And then with the DNA, you know, was pretty much, you know, a definite positive. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, you got arrested and then, um, they were getting ready to go to trial and, just days before the trial started, uh, he pled guilty to all the charges, everyone across the board. And, you know, people asked, well, why didn't he, they charge him with attempted murder? And they said, well, that honestly, the charges that they had served a longer term than attempted murder. And kidding? it was questionable to prove the attempted murder as if the throw down the stairs wasn't enough. Um. So... He pleads guilty, then they go to sentencing. And in 1992, I think I just said it was the first time they used DNA. It was also the first time that they let the media crew, the TV crew in a courtroom. Uh, prior to that, it was just an etching, you know, a hand mm-hmm. drawing, which you see more today now that they're, they're allowing the media in there. And then they also allowed me to speak. I was the first victim in 1993 to speak at sentencing. And it was it was pretty impactful. And a judge, you know, why why would you take her when you after all the things that happened, you could have left her. You could have left her at that house. Why? Why would you take her other than to either do more harm, more of the same, or to get rid of the evidence? He says it's the only thing that makes any sense to me. So the judge, you know, gave him a pretty stiff sentence.
0: Uh, Sorry, because it cut out a second there. So what did he answer when the judge asked why he took you after everything that happened?
1: Oh, he said he wasn't going to kill me. He told him that he wasn't going to kill me. He was just going to take me to a cabin and do more of that stuff. Wow. And uh, honestly, that's the same thing that he's still telling the parole board today when they ask him, you know, uh, so it's been 25 and then every two years, there's this parole board hearing. And so four years ago was the first parole board hearing that I had. And, you know, I, I got help and I got counseling and, you know, I've been working on um, personal development, um, you know, dealing with post-traumatic stress. And four years ago uh, when he came up for parole, I worked with a lady and put together a DVD so I wouldn't have to go to these parole hearings every two years because friends and family had to do that and um it was pretty traumatic watching those videos over and over again and having to do the editing of it you know was it was really took me back so I had worked with her and then I hooked up with the local media and did a tv interview about you know the upcoming pro. and um that's when that other girl came forward and uh I seemed okay for the interview. We went to the locations where it happened, where I escaped, and they were at my house and 3 hours later they edited it and threw it on TV really quick. And when I saw it on TV, it took me back to even working with my friend to put together the video for the pro board. That wasn't as dramatic as when I seen it air on the TV. And that's when I like lost it. And that was Four and a half years ago, I mean, I had done off and on medication, antidepressants, um, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, depression. Oh, the Xanax was probably the worst. Four years ago, that's when uh, you know, it was like ripping that Band-Aid off and it was really traumatic for me. Two years ago, I knew it was upcoming and i uh, that's when I got caught driving through town with the police with a bag of pills. And Xanax was the one and, you know, oh, they have these drug recognition experts today. And, uh, you know, you can be on a sinus medicine over the counter and fail a urinalysis. So um, I pled guilty to uh, driving while impaired, lost my license and, you know, all this stuff. But I am really proud to say that, you know, two and a half years and, and because of the police, I got off the drugs. Right. You know, again. I was carrying a big coffee cup that day when I got pulled over by the police. And it says, um, good morning, turn everything over to God or something like that. And I remember for the longest time, I said, like, God, where were you? Where were you <laughs> when I needed your help, right? And I'm like, you know, for a while and I ended up, got a crack in it. And it was my favorite cup and I get rid of it. And when I got a chance to get a new one and it was the same cup, well, it looked the same. It wasn't the same cup, but I'm like, you know what? My spirit, God, was always with me. That's what saved me. Yeah, that's what saved me. You know, I mean, I you know, I may have done some MacGyver moves, you know, picking the trunk lock. And I have to tell you that you you can't even get locked in a trunk anymore today. They have inside latches on them. in In 1992, they did not. So, you know, that's one of vehicle improvement they have made.
0: Yeah, and there's been a lot of stuff that you know that was a very significant year, and you were laid an incredibly significant role in the changes that have occurred since then. Like you just so happened to be the first for the DNA testing and the first woman to be allowed to speak in court. And that is because you were chosen for that. You were such a strong woman who was able to, whereas no one else came forward. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, that's why I'm here talking to you today is because bizarre things do happen. And, uh, you know, I got involved with rape crisis, domestic violence, you know, helping helping a lot of people because, you know, that was where I was at. And I can remember the young girl saying, oh, you're our hero. And I'm like, I was 33. You were 13. You were 11. And, um, yeah, I did that for quite some time. And then I was like, you know, I just had to to separate myself from from that, that uh,
0: I just couldn't do that anymore. That would have been adding to your PTSD, like, really.
1: Yes, yes. Well, my my first counselor, psychologist that I had, again, she, when she'd heard about it, and then when she I became her client, she was just ecstatic that I was her hero, and you know, we just just hit it off like really well. And um, she had me because of my strong personality. Myself and another girl, we went to um, a couple counties away, you know, hundred miles away to a court proceeding well it wasn't really a court proceeding there was six guys six men young young guys who were going to be released into the public for sex crimes and most of them were sex crimes against children so they let the two of us at one end of the room and there was these six guys at the other end and now there was two guys in each of them so i can't i can't even believe how there could have been so many officers there but there were so you know they let us talk at them vent <laughs> You know, that, you know, we blame them for what happened. They weren't the one, but it was somebody just like them. And when we get emotional, the other one would stand up and let them have it. And the reason I'm telling you this is one of the guys, they thought he was going to get up and like four guys just, you know, two, well, the only two guys went on because there's two on each guy. But he fell to his knees, sobbing that he couldn't believe that he had sexually assaulted a child. That this was the first time that he was aware of what had happened to him, that he had blocked it out. And not that he was making an excuse, that this was really authentic, that he couldn't believe that he could be hurting another as he had been hurt. So from that, you know, I had always known that my attacker must have been through some really bizarre shit when he was young and his family. And at the sentencing, we found out that there was sexual abuse, physical abuse, sexual dysfunction in the family. So, you know, today I find out, you know, that that's how some people express love. You know, uh, I don't know how many of my friends were actually forced to have sex with their fathers, religious, born again, Christians, pastors, and it's. You know, their sisters had kids with their father and their mother raised them. And I'm thinking <sighs> that, this that is so, so much of it goes on. It does. Yes. And um, no, one, no one has anyone to talk to or tell. And, you know, I got, I got help. And that's another of the reasons why I, I have to tell the story is that there's healing for everyone. You know, as I healed. And, and it's a constant thing. You know, you just don't. It isn't just gone overnight.
0: No, this has been 29 years for you. Yeah. You know, because, you know, he keeps coming up for parole. and
1: Because when yeah, we so- last
0: spoke, actually, we'll we'll go there. When we last spoke, he was about to come up for parole. And since then, that parole hearing has been. So what actually happened? Because I know that you were, you know, obviously you've done a lot of healing work with that, but it was still pretty stressful.
1: It, it was. And uh, because I was saying, I need to be okay with the day that he gets released in our previous interview that's what i was feeling that's where i wanted to be and i really believed that i had forgiven him i mean i've been forgiving him for years you know i go to the prison where he's at i burn candles I
0: has he shown no remorse at all has he no 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 all he has later tell me what you witnessed the last time the parole board spoke to you about what his reactions were to what happened
1: I didn't get one yet this year because I am entitled to one. But uh, two years ago, they asked him, you know, at the end of the interview, the same question the judge did. Why did you take her? Why didn't you just leave her there? And his, he still has the same response that he wasn't going to kill me. He was going to take me to that cabin and do more of that stuff. Now, you know, you would want to think that if someone has seen the light and has changed their ways. That, you know, there could have been some remorse that maybe he could have shed a tear or that I was sorry or, you know, I've learned my lesson or anything like that. But there was there was just nothing,
0: nothing. You said he almost bragged about it. He was almost, you know. Yes.
1: The Pearl Board were asking him questions and he was kind of getting cocky and, you know, like that he was getting away with it because he had been into a lot of pornography. And, you know, I said, well, you know, you can, you know, just hire a prostitute and they'll let you beat them up for money, you know, and that's not what it's about. It's all about power and control and, and stealing fear in, in another person. Yeah. So he's he still hasn't had any, no remorse. And just two months ago when I spoke with the parole board, he couldn't tell me, but, um, he didn't think that he would get out because he is a violent offender. You know, some some things would have to severely change, like the laws. But in four years from now, they won't be able to keep him in anymore. He'll have done his minimum maximum. And I still feel that, that I'm going to be okay with that, that, you know, I've forgiven him. I've been working on healing myself and healing him because, you know, as part of one of the journeys that, I'm on and similar with yours is, is part of being these new humans, the new human of the earth that you, you have to forgive and that there's no good or no bad, all things just exist. And it was a blessing for me to be there or I wonder how many women there could have been yeah. that, uh, that I was strong enough to stop him that day and, and keep him in jail for a long time. Yet, I think that what he must have gone through in his household, and then to have done this similar things to approximately 100 women that I know of in a 12-year in a period is, um, and of course, because that all came out so much after the fact, you know, that that isn't, can't be brought into evidence. And who would, 29 years later, want to come forward and tear their life up? although it would probably be the best healing for them in the world, I would not recommend going public. Yeah, right. Because uh, just, it's just a bit much. But
0: uh, but you did, and it's um, how courageous of you to actually do that, and you have saved so many other women from the, from the same thing, like you said, because, you know, we don't need to go over the details because it's just unnecessary. But when people think, oh, yeah, it was a rape, it was so much more than that. It was so much more than that.
1: It, it, it you know, that was what they, you know, classify it. But yeah, it, it was so much more, so much more than that. And uh, so, you know, today, you know, I have, you know, so much forgiveness for him, for all of the, the criminals in jail. See, so.
0: He pretty, well, he pretty much experimented on you, didn't he?
1: Well, I wasn't the first for sure. Just,
0: just to put this into perspective, it was it was like a you know it wasn't just a sexual thing for him. It was some kind of sick, twisted experiment. It was
1: it was power and control, and and that's why he punched me, tied me up immediately. Apparently, he'd gotten scratched a couple times before, you know. But, um, you know, so I, I I for you know forgive him and like keep forgiving myself, you know, trying to heal. Myself. And then I have this compassion, you know, that what horrible things must have happened when he was a child. And maybe he was like that other guy that never realized that he had been violated. You know, I mean it when 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 horrible things happen and you're under five years of age, it would be pretty easy to totally block that out.
0: Yeah, I've heard of it, people blocking it out even as teenagers.
1: Yeah. So and then if If he is getting out in four years and, you know, by fighting with the parole board and, you know, trying to change laws, that was the last thing that I was involved in was called Ramona's Law for changing the term limits for violent offenders. And now we're talking first and second degree murder, predatory sexual assault of a child. Actually, this was all just last year that this Ramona's law came out and that they wanted to change it from a two years to five years. Cause I met um, two families who lost their children when they were children to another child that was a murderer. Okay. So they've been going to these parole board things and one has been nine times and one has been 10 times. I actually, I want to think they're 10 and 11 now every two years they have to go to the parole board and I didn't need it so much for myself, but when they asked me, could they put my name on it? Because I was outspoken and it could be so helpful for so many people in these families. And, you know, and, and where I live, the politics have really, really changed. You know, there's, there's not even someone gets arrested for rape today. They get released in a couple hours. They get bail. There's no jail time there. They're, you know, ever since the COVID started, there is no jail time. Mm. and so. That's why I've been working to heal, heal him, forgive him, heal him. I have compassion.
0: And because you mentioned forgiveness for yourself, and a lot of people won't understand that, but that is such a big part of any trauma that we experience. There's an element of self-blame, and I don't know why as humans we do that. But Well,
1: me, I shouldn't have gone by myself. Yeah. too. you know, I had a partner, couldn't go. I had... Someone who was going to go with me, they didn't go. I shouldn't have gone, right? You know, when you always say, well, how you were dressed, this and that. Well, you know, no is no. And it's, you know, it always has been. Yet, you know, I have this humility that if he is going to be released in, in four years, it could be two, but for sure four years, I have to be okay with the day that they let him out, you know? So I've, I've had a pistol and a pistol from it for a long time. And, you know, I used to have to shoot it all the time. And I, I don't want to feel that I, I have to have it to be protected and to be safe. I, I, I feel safe without it. In fact, I, I'm contemplating selling it just because.
0: Wow, that's a huge step for you. Yeah,
1: because for
0: a long time, I
1: couldn't live without it. You know, I just lived in fear for, for a long time. And, um, yeah, the unconditional love, you know, if I have unconditional love for him and and not that I want to be his friend or anything like that, because I don't, but this healing so you know, if, if he's going to be out and I really can't see that, you know, the way that the prisons are set up, that they got any emotional support or anything like that, you know, other than maybe some religion, If he found religion or something like that while he was in there by healing my wounds and healing his wounds and healing these families, instead of going and fighting the system to change laws, which if they're letting the criminals out, if they're 45 years old and they've done 15 years, it doesn't matter if they got like three first degree murders. They want to let them out Called elder law to reduce prison population well if we're going to keep reducing the prison population and letting these monstrous people out
0: who's going to heal them so that's what that's my mission i got to yeah. heal them and, and these families and for those listening that really struggle with this you know cuz it can sound crazy to some people but you obviously know about ho'oponopono
1: and yes i do i love the ho'oponopono hono prayer
0: And the the effect that that actually had in prisons at the time when. Well, that's, that's where I got the whole idea from was
1: that between the Honopono prayer and music, whether sound healing, I really believe that so much healing could happen for the collective, you know, and we're not, and we're not just talking people who are violent criminals, we're talking about the survivors, the, the people that are struggling, that, that there's this healing is for everyone. And and most people just feel that they're stuck in their own mire of shit Yeah, because our programming that we've picked up along the way, you know, I don't know how many times my friends would say, Oh, let it go. Let it go. Or, you know, push it down, you know, push it down. Well you, you, you got to get it out. You got to cry, let it go, you know, get a good cry. And then, you know, like I just rip off another sheet of toilet paper, you know, rip it off another one, you know, until it's gone. And it was like,
0: yeah. Cause it's taken you 29 years of doing well, actually a lot of that was just repressing it with drugs and alcohol. But once you started that healing process, you know, that hasn't been an easy task. It's, it never is. But wow, how worth it has been, because that has seen you go from the hatred and the fighting the system and to, you know, the, the push and the fight, which just opposite energy. It just what we give out, we receive back. So you were having that resistance back. As more you were pushing, the more you were getting that resistance back. And sometimes, yes, fighting creates change, but you've seen a much bigger change from actually healing and stopping the fight within yourself and externally. Yeah, not throwing gas incredible. on anybody
1: else's fire. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not throwing gas on their fire.
0: And it's pretty hard for a lot of people to comprehend, but it's incredibly powerful. Yes, thank you, Sally. Like I have seen just in the short time that we've known each other, I have seen the changes, and that's why I wanted to do another conversation with you. Because even from a month ago,
1: nine months was it, it been nine months right after unify right
0: um yeah that's that's probably when we met yeah yeah
1: yeah and i have to tell you about that create community that that was just something else unify was so beautiful that i signed up for a six month in the create community because i already received that value out of one month in Unify. I think that's all we were in, Unify.
0: It was, yeah, Unify, for those that don't know, with Jared Grantham and Abigail Bremer and they had so many guests, Marcy Locke, Adam Roa, and a bunch of others. And, yeah, I won the trip to Embodiment in Bali through that and I was actually hoping I'd win the Create membership. I remember being so disappointed when I didn't win the Create membership and then I got announced as the grand final winner and it's like, oh, my goodness. I was completely blown away, but I joined Create anyway, even though I didn't think I could afford to. It was just somewhere I had to be. And that's where I got to experience you and more of your story. And I just knew one day I had to talk to you. But even since we spoke a month ago, the changes that I've witnessed in your energy, just speaking with you, has been quite profound. Like you've been doing the deep work and it's such a privilege, actually, to speak to you again and, and really witness you in that.
1: Thanks, Sally. It, it was really been great, you know, getting off the pills and the alcohol and the marijuana. And, uh, you know, I had uh, Zahara Razimering read my chart. And, and you know, if you, n- a lot of people might not know about your karma, but your karma is your past life, you know, before yeah. you come into this life. And she said in my chart that, you know, I was in a martial environment that was very violent
0: Oh, I, was and on that that I wasn't pole. allowed
1: and that I was not a, allowed a voice so that my attacker is possibly reincarnated from my past life also not for sure but could be and that now that I have this voice because I didn't have a voice you know and um I just thought that that was all pretty interesting
0: yeah, it's incredible. I love Z, and I think I was on that call, and it was just incredible. We were all speechless, and uh, that's a beautiful community for sure.
1: Yes, yes, love that community.
0: For those who don't know, it's the Create Community. I think it's on a little mini break at the moment, but it's coming back. Yes,
1: yes, for like uh, five more weeks. They're going yep. to start out a new one. They're going to do a little tweaking it and a little more hands on some upgrades. Um, I I love that community. And it it was all started because of COVID, you know, that we got on these Zoom calls with a family of people who want to make changes in the world for the positive. And that's where when I first shared my story in the group, I was still in the fighting mode. And then it was like, was that old saying that you can attract more bees with honey than you can with vinegar? Yeah. That I was going about it all wrong, but I was going about it the only way that I knew how at the yeah. time.
0: So yeah. But that voice has served you in the meantime, that voice has really served you and saved so many other women. And now what you're doing in this next phase is, is just going to be profound. Ooh, yeah. You've got a lot it of work is. still to do <laughs> for this world.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a lot of healing to go on in this world. And, but that's the the reason that I said it that I was considering giving up not considering I'm it's like a, almost a done thing is that when he, he does get out of prison, that I still feel safe because he couldn't take my life before. Even if he does take my physical body, he can't touch my spirit. Yeah, because that lives forever. So I'm OK. It was uh, just in the last day or so. I want to think it was a Marcy Locke something I was listening to about that, you know, you could even be captured and held for a period of time and you could still be in your glory because they cannot take your spirit.
0: Yeah. It's all right here. Absolutely. Yeah. That look, honestly, Mm. thank you so, so much. What a beautiful note to end on. I'm so honored and just so grateful that you have, yeah, given us the time to share your voice again today, because Part of me thinks, oh, my God, you must be so sick of going over your story. You know, you've, you've gone through the details from the first day with the police and then over and over again, and everybody wants to know the juicy details of it all. But what you have been through and the way you have shared your story and the way that sharing has evolved over time has been just, yeah, I, I just really commend you for that. Well, thank you, Sally. Look, your story will continue to... Continue to change so many lives and hopefully one day, maybe I can write your book for you or help you write your book because that would be incredible. I am. And I really want to
1: thank you for encouraging me because um, my friend Annabelle did a chapter. And when I mentioned this with my mother, she totally agreed that it was much more than a
0: chapter. Way more. Yeah way more. So that's right. um, When we spoke, you were considering putting a chapter in a book and I said to you, absolutely not. Yours is a full book. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember that now. It doesn't matter, you know, who you get to do it. So don't ever think that I would ever pressure you to come to me, but I I believe that you need to write it and- One of the things a lot of people don't think they're a good enough writer to write their story. And so the one tip that I would give you as well as anyone else considering it is there's such amazing technology now that you can speak your story and there's little programs, otter.ai is one of the best ones and that actually transcribes your spoken word into written word and then it's so much easier to kind of tweak rather than to write from scratch because putting a pen to paper can be really hard for some people. You know, it comes naturally to me, but even writing my own story was incredibly difficult and I'm a writer. So, yeah, I would recommend doing that for those who think that they're not that good at writing or they don't know how where to even start, just start recording and getting it transcribed, and then you can rearrange it, and you can edit it, and Right, you get it a copyright together. editor. Yeah, well, true, yeah. And you can piece it together in different sections, and play with it. And you know, you might end up what you thought was going to be your first chapter could be your twentieth chapter. But you can play with it a lot more from there. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely recommend voicing it for you as a hey, starting that really point. really I thank you so much, Sally. This is just wonderful. I'm so blessed. Thank you so much, Mona. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd be ever so grateful and it would really help a girl out if you'd share the love. Subscribe, rate and review so others can find us too. Much love.